Welcome to Voices of the Wild Earth, a podcast series from the Idaho Mythweaver. I'm Jane Fritz. Back in 1991, I produced a five-part series of documentaries for Spokane Public Radio. Called Keepers of the Earth, the programs featured stories of each of the Idaho tribes set within the context of their histories, cultures, and interrelationships with the natural world. These many years later, the voices of the storytellers and indigenous leaders are more relevant than ever. We invite you now to listen and learn from the Native peoples, whose values and perspectives create a future that we all can embrace. Their villages were once along the shores of pristine lakes, Coeur d'Alene, Benoit, Chakalé, and wild rivers, the St. Joe, St. Mary's, Spokane. They fished for salmon and cutthroat trout, hunted deer, bear, and elk, dug camas in bitterroot. They picked huckleberries. Spirituality was their signature on daily living. They had respect for each other, respect for the forest, the waters, the animals, and the earth. Peaceful and happy, they lived a bountiful and good life. And despite being driven inland from shorelines and river banks, they remain a land and water people. They are the Shtichuans, the Coeur d'Alene tribe, keepers of the earth. Their territory radically reduced and their cultural ways endangered, the Coeur d'Alene strive and struggle to remain a self-determined people. Ernie Stenskar is currently chairman of the Coeur d'Alene Tribal Council. He began questioning management policies and timber activities on the reservation. I guess from our perspective, in terms of uh, wildlife, how is wildlife being infected? What about our huckleberry patches? What about the spiritualness of some of the areas where uh, I know people wanted to utilize areas for uh, sweating and, and stuff? How is the waterways being protected? Water was a big part of our life. We used to fish it all year round as kids. My brothers and my uncles took me fishing. Uh, my kids can't do that anymore. They're, they don't do it anymore. I was um, greatly dismayed of the pollution of uh, Hammond Creek, but uh, Mission Creek and uh, partially Indian Creek. We swam in them creeks all the time. The kids don't do that anymore. They're stopped from doing it because of the pollution of that water. That was done because of uh, the stream straightening out and probably logging activity that happened in areas. These questions were a catalyst to change and a shift in sharing of power, leaving the tribe to manage their timberlands in their own way. When a woman was going to make a basket from a cedar tree, she would stand in front of that tree and pray to it. You are a mighty tree. You have been shelter to us in the winter. You give us heat in the winter. You give us shade in the summer. You help us at all times. 
But now I am going to take some of your bark. I will need this bark to make a basket to carry my huckleberries. I ask your forgiveness. I will take only what I need, and I thank you. Cordeline Tribal Council Vice Chairman and Storyteller Lawrence Saripa remembers his grandmother's prayer beneath the branches of a cedar tree on a berry-picking outing as a child. Many decades later, beneath the same tree, Lawrence points up to the place where the bark was taken. Lawrence talks about growing up on the reservation and values learned from his ancestors through the stories they told. When I was a little boy, whenever I misbehaved, I did something wrong, my grandfather would look at me and and he would laugh and he would call me Kusichin. One day I asked, why do you call me Kusichin? And they said, because you are bad. And then I said, who? is Kusichin. What was he? And so they tell me the story then. When the people, the Stichuans, lived in different areas within our territory, our family lived way up in the mountains, past the present town of Avery, way up where the river starts the beginning of the Great St. Joe River. It was there that this man lived. But among the people, there was one who defied everything that the people believed in. He was mean, he was selfish, he was mean to kids, mean to animals, he did not believe in sharing. He did not do what others taught their children to do. He would not tell stories to the children. He would not associate with other men or other people. He did everything just the opposite of what they believed in. He would kill an animal and he would take only enough for one meal. He would not share, and he would leave it. And the people were always taught to use everything from an animal. If they got a deer or an elk, they used every part of it for some reason or another. Even the antlers and the hoofs were used for decorations and for knife handles and other things. But Kusichin, he had no respect for these things. He would only get enough for one meal and leave the rest. He would burn trees. He would cut them down and let them die. He would burn the grass and he would laugh when little animals died. He would have a lot of fun seeing all of this destruction. He would not listen to the other people. He laughed at their idea of respect. He laughed at their way of 
greeting one another, of being kind to each other. He did everything wrong. And so the people finally had enough of it. And so they called him and they met with him. And they says, Sachin, you do everything against what we have been teaching our children. And so now we must warn you, if you continue to do these things, you will either be put to death or you will be banished. If you don't care about us, then you must not care about your own life. So we will banish you that nobody will talk to you, nobody will help you. And we do our best to help you now. We have tried to get you to believe in us, so we have been kind to you. We have been thoughtful and respectful of you. But now we will not do that if you do not change. So he thought it over and he said, yes, I will change. I will be a different person if you just give me a chance. I don't want to be alone. I don't want to be out there depending on no one but myself. So he then showed signs of turning. So they let him go. And for a short period, he was a model citizen. And then he went back and did the same thing. And all of a sudden, he disappeared. No one could find him. What happened to Sachin? Did an animal get him? Did he drown? Did a tree fall on him? What could have happened to Sachin? Nobody knew. When he had vowed to change, he told the people that he wanted to be remembered for something. He said, if I die now, nobody will remember me. Nobody will know who I was. I will not leave a mark. I have not done anything to help my people, so nobody will even remember me. I will die without even being remembered. And he says, I want to be remembered. And even now, some of the people, whenever their children are bad, whenever they are mean, whenever they show disrespect for anything, they will say to their children, do you want to grow up like Kutsichin? And so he did leave a mark. He is remembered, not the way he wanted to be, but he is remembered. He was Kutsichin. Lawrence believes the stories helped him maintain his Indianness, despite pressures to assimilate into the modern world. Cultural anthropologist Rodney Fry. Well, I think that in a very real sense that the stories allow people a sense of identity, of who they are in this 1990s. It, stories aren't simply fantasies of a, a long-lost age and a remembrance of that time and a return to somehow, but stories are as alive and meaningful today as they ever were because they give people a sense of who they are. They give people a sense and can build a sense of self-identity, of self-worth, of purpose and meaning. And as a result, it seems to me, in, in my experiences with, with Indian peoples or peoples anywhere, 
in any situation, when people have a strong sense of their own story, when they can tell the story of who they are, how they got to this particular place and where they're going, that that is the greatest shield against all the adversities that face us as individuals in our own lifetime. Those, those adversarial forces at work can be held at bay when people have a sense of who they are. That's the greatest shield they can have. Who they are is best conveyed, it seems to me, through their stories. The stories that grew out of the past continue to shape the land for the Coeur d'Alene's. Created in 1986, the tribal logging operation has a mandate to profitably promote its timber while giving special consideration to protecting and preserving forest lands. A board of five tribal elders guides management decisions that range from no activity to maximum production of timber. The TLO board typically reviews ecological considerations as well as economics in making their recommendations. But these tribal elders consider cultural values and spiritual needs, too. Chairman Stenskar comments on the work of the TLO board. They have a love for the land. They have a love for the people. They respect it. In their times, they depended on the land for livelihood. They knew that um, if they wanted good water, that they had to protect it. They knew that water was for cleansing, not only outside of them, but inside of them. They knew that they had to have uh, food. So they respected the animals. They lived with them. They hunted them. They utilized all the parts, and they didn't, they didn't waste any of the animals. I'm sure the animals sensed when they weren't hunting. They didn't hunt all the time. They utilized the roots for medicinal purposes, so it was important to them not to over-harvest, knowing when and, and how to gather those. They utilized um, the whole ecosystem for food, for life. They realize that everything, the spiritual and the physical, were together. They bring that into the forest part of it. Um, they realize that we as people need, need money to exist, that government has to have money to uh, conduct their business, that people need money to live. But they also realize that, that we have to get out into the mountains, we have to get out into nature to get that special feeling, that um, uplifting that, that you get. They bring that to the committee along with their knowledge of um, where they traveled as kids, um, where the berry fields were, where the streams are, the wine activities around. Um, they utilize all that knowledge and, and bring it into specialness. Um, you know, let's don't clear cut. You know, we, we, we just can't clear cut because not only does it look awful, it, it offends, it offends um, grandfather. A logging activity rarely approved by the tribe is clear-cutting. Dominic Curley is a tribal council member and chairman of the TLO board. The whole tribe, I think everybody, except a logger, is just about dead set against the clear-cut. It just don't look right to Mother Nature, and it's against the Indian religion or something like that. It's uh, kind of like raping Mother Earth. It's taking too much. It's like we used to go in the mountain with my grandmother, grandfather, some of the older people go up there and find some huckleberries, maybe. Well, eat some huckleberries, maybe, but then you always give something back. Like my grandfather, well, they'd eat some berries, and he'd take his cigarettes or his tobacco, take a piece off that and dig a little hole and put that tobacco into the, into the ground, covered up. He's, I took some from Mother Earth and I give something back. I always try to pay her back. 
years ago, before the wetland came out, there was good healthy timber. Where'd the beetles and root rot and all this net come from? Oh, there's other different tree diseases that's not, they have to be cut down. And there's acres and acres all right together that that's happening to. And uh, you didn't hear nothing about that in the old days. If you did hear about it, maybe it's one or two trees that was it. But nowadays, instead of just kind of eradicating that bunch there and watching that bunch, take the whole thing. They say it's, to, it's going to stop it. But... Much clear cuts going on now. They have, well, what have they stopped? Stop the growth of our timber. We gotta replant it, watch it, burn it. Why and how come? That's been my concept since a little kid. I don't know. How come? Why? While working with the TLO or the Tribal Council, Dominic can't help but think of the stories he heard growing up. The values they contain are reflected in the daily choices he makes. Everything's in a circle, like a drum. You got a board, a piece of lumber, square. But where did it come from? Keep them a round tree. The earth's round, sun's round, moon. Everything's in a circle. You need to wait something starts, it always goes in a circle and comes back at the end again. That's in my concept for years, I've been such a little, little fella. I've been not really thinking about that. It's been in the back of my mind all these years. And like after I was, got older and got into council, this and that, and that uh, different things you had to make up our minds on. And a lot of that stuff comes back to you. Well, my grandfather used to talk to me. And there's a lot of things that uh, people say or do that makes me think of some of the stories he told or had me do with him. On ceded lands, however, there is little the TLO board can do about practices like clear-cutting. Between 1900 and 1940, much of the timber on the four million acres that was Aboriginal Coeur d'Alene territory had been cut and hauled away. Extensive logging continues today. Despite treaty protection, ensuring hunting and gathering rights, only a few of the traditional gathering places and freshwater springs remain. Lawrence Aripa. Some of those places, you can't even get to them anymore because of the different people that own them. We can't go out and camp like we did before, you know. We, now, you, if you go up to Santa or to any of these mountains that we used to go to, you have to have special permission. And it's necessary now, but in those days it wasn't because we automatically took care of, of fires and uh, we had our own environmental practices. Our idea was to save, to protect our environment, and uh, it was something that just came natural. Now it's more natural to throw tin cans, empty bottles into the brush rather than try to protect those things, you know. It's common practice now to do that, and it was a common practice for us to protect those things when I was young. It bothers me, but then on the other hand, uh, it's just the way things are. You certainly can't get those things to happen the way they did unless the people could think the same way we did. If the lifestyle around us was the same 
as it was then, then the, the young people would grow up respecting and knowing how valuable those things are. Protecting the treaty rights of future generations of Coeur d'Alene's is something the Tribal Council strives to do. Setting natural resource policy at the tribal level is one way, and political action at the state and federal level is another. Jeannie Givens served two terms in the House of the Idaho Legislature. She thinks the tribe has a lot to offer. By its nature, a tribal government has a mission, and that mission is to preserve and protect what little land is left. And that's not something that's just a policy written on paper. It's something that comes from the heart. The tribal membership expects that their leaders are going to stand up and to fight for clean air and clean water and a, and a good way of life. We are the original environmentalists. Before that word ever came around, Indians were the caretakers of the land. The Coeur d'Alene tribe is a tribe that uses the teepee, and the teepee is a very nice house. It's portable, but the nice thing about a teepee is that you're on the ground. The floor is the earth, and you're very, very close to Mother Earth. From there, when you're very close, you can, you can notice the differences, the moisture in the soil. You can, you can feel the coldness. You can feel the warmth. And, and you keep really in tune with nature by being close to the earth. The state of Idaho, the U.S. government, the Forest Service, maybe they have people who work for agencies, natural resource agencies, that care about the earth. But I think a lot of people uh, are looking for a job. I don't know where their heart is. I don't know where their philosophy is. But, but in the case of the tribes that I am familiar with in the state of Idaho, they're very committed people to protecting the land. The value of Mother Earth, the Earth needing some tending, the Earth needing some caring, and to be treated gently, um, was taught to me in a easy way, uh, just by following the seasons. And huckleberry picking in the summertime up in North Idaho, to learning about preserving game and getting ready for the winter time, and the period of the winter, which is uh, story time and quiet time, and then the bursting of spring. That's a cycle. It's a life cycle, and human beings have a role in that. We are not to alter that cycle, but we are to work with that cycle. But to live life following those cycles requires clean air and clean water and uncontaminated soil. In the gathering period, you want to be able to gather the traditional Indian foods so they're not contaminated. We have some serious problems with contamination of soil from agriculture, from runoff from timber, and, and some of those natural foods are threatened. The water potato is a native food of the Coeur d'Alene, and that particular species is threatened. In addition to logging, there has been damage to the native land and waters from mining and agriculture. Alfred Nomi is the lease compliance officer and smoke management official for the tribe. He oversees the agricultural practices on the reservation. I'll let those individuals out there know how I feel about what they've done to the land that the Spirit has given us. They've destroyed it. That's the one thing about civilized man, far back as I can remember, in the stories I've heard, in the songs that I hear, the only time man, civilized man, is concerned 
and begins to worry about something is when he's almost ready to lose it. You destroy something and it's gone, then you say, why didn't I protect it? Civilized man has polluted the waters, he's polluted the air, he's polluted the land, and just now they're starting to say, where else do we go? We destroy this, where are we going to go? Wherever possible, the Coeur d'Alene tribe tries to influence individuals, private industry, and government agencies to halt damaging practices, restore the land and waters to health, and protect nature. For their guidance, the Coeur d'Alene people continue to turn to the stories. Lawrence Aripa. Not only because they're teaching tools, but it tells us who we are. It tells the kind of people that lived before us. They have a lot of value, and they always will have. And I hope that we never lose it. And I hope that there's always going to be some of our people that will listen and learn them so that they can keep it going. And I think my nephew is a good example of that. I think that he'll be able to tell them to his children or his nephews or some of the people then because of that, my grandfather's stories are going to go on. The caring for land and water is inextricably linked to the stories, to their ancestors, and to the native spirituality. Alfred Nomi. I have to give something back. And in order for me to give something back, then my children need to learn and understand what this is. You try to teach and you try to envision in these young people that Everything out there has a purpose. Everything out there has a life. There is a spiritual aspect to even the rocks out there. They are there for a purpose. They were put there for a reason. And there is a spirit in that. When uh, we have our sweat lodge ceremonies, one of the things that is a part of that are the rocks that are heated to create the steam inside. The water is used. Fire is used. Steam is used. Okay, these are all interacting with basically the environment, with the Mother Earth itself. And that's basically what uh, I, I see as going back to what was given to me, what was given to my grandmother, what was given to my grandmother. Those people learned it from somewhere. They have passed it down to me. I will in turn pass it to my children. Ultimately, returning to the source and heartbeat of their existence is what will ensure the survival of the Coeur d'Alene people. Jeannie Gibbons. Indian people give life to animals and personify an animal, and an animal has a spirit in itself, so the earth also has a spirit. That's a major difference in viewing a natural resource, that 
that trees have spirits, that a brook, a stream, and a lake, and a river have a spirit as well. They are living things, part of what the Creator gave us. Uh, they are a gift to us, and with that gift, we're going to honor that gift. That's why it's very sad to see something intentionally destroyed. Native American flute music, courtesy of Ken Light, and traditional singing and drumming by the Pierced Heart Singers. Voices of the Wild Earth podcast are produced by me, Jane Fritz, and associate producer Justin Landtrip for the Idaho Myth Weaver. This program is supported in part by a grant from the Idaho Humanities Council, a state-based program of the National Endowment for the Humanities. Additional funding is from the Bonner County Endowment Fund for Human Rights in the Idaho Community Foundation. We are especially grateful to the Idaho tribes for allowing us to share these original radio stories again as podcasts on MythWeaver.org and Spotify and Apple Podcasts under Voices of the Wild Earth. Thank you for listening.